again to Shotgun Saturday Nights, the unofficial fan cast where we discuss, dissect, and gush over two of our favorite podcasts, King Paul's AM and Improv on Tape. This podcast does contain spoilers, as usual, as always, you guys know the drill, specifically for King Paul's episode 35, Dear Diary, one of my favorite episodes. Real jobs that those actors have are keeping our book club pretty busy, so... It may be a little bit before they come back. Anyway, if you haven't caught up on King Falls by now, I don't know what to tell you other than go listen. Anyway, I know I said I was going to try and not be as much of a Debbie Downer with current events as I had been in the past. And I do fully intend to keep that. However... I would like to start out this episode's current events with giving a resounding fuck you to everyone in 2016 who told me I was overreacting. Really? I was? Every last one of you people can kiss my fat white ass. Thank you. Anyway. As I know, you guys are all aware by now, Supreme Court had a decision leaked that they are planning to overturn Roe v. Wade. Who knew that The Handmaid's Tale was a guidebook? I sure didn't when I read it. I am not ashamed to say that when I found this out, I lost my shit. I went bat crap crazy. Not going to lie. In fact, I'm pretty angry that more people didn't lose their shit over this. Uh, Yeah. And I was at work. So losing my shit at work over Roe v. Wade being overturned, not a pretty picture. It's a good thing I have an office all to myself where I can close the door. Um, I will do... My best to remember to put it in the show notes, so if you want to skip past this part, you can. But I am going to kind of go off on a tangent here. I hope you all listen, but again, feel free to fast forward, skip past this part. Um, I'm not going to force this on you. So let's just start out by, you know, what the fuck? What The actual fuck. Republicans have spent decades stacking the Supreme Court with far-right, fascist, ultra-conservative, fake Christian judges who they all knew, all of them knew, that every single fucking one of these judges, regardless of how many times they lied during their Supreme Court hearings, were planning on overturning Roe. And that dirty, heinous, anti-woman bitch, Susan Collins, who says, Oh, that's not what they told me during our private meetings in my office. And not what they said when they were under oath. Bullshit, bitch. Bull fucking shit. I don't care what they said. The people knew they were lying. Where were you? Don't pretend you didn't know they were out and out lying. Every last 
one of them. You're a piece of shit, Susan. A piece of shit. And you need to be voted out of fucking office as soon as fucking possible. And every single last one of those judges who lied under oath needs to be impeached. They need to be held accountable. If any of us lied during a job interview, and let's face it, that's what those hearings are. It's a job interview. If any of us had lied during our job interviews like that, first of all, we wouldn't have been hired. But if we had been hired and then it was later found out we lied, we would be fired on the spot. So no, I'm not even playing. Some shit needs to be done. And if you want to investigate who leaked this, fine, go ahead. Do what you got to do. Do your due diligence. But let's focus on the bigger picture. Let's focus on what's really important here. The assholes who are out there voting to ban abortion are the exact same ones voting against things like universal health care, parental leave, affordable child care, school lunch programs, anything that will help these children and these families after they're born. And why? Because it isn't about children. Not at all. It's not about children. It's not about babies. It's not about family values. It's not about the right to live. Bullshit. It is 110% about control. That's all it is. They want power and they want control. They want to keep women where they think we belong, barefoot and pregnant, keeping us stupid so that we do what our husbands tell us to do and vote how our husbands tell us to vote, creating more Republican voters who are too stupid to know the difference. Now, I am 51 years old, so obviously having an abortion is not something that I personally need to worry about. I am no longer of childbearing age. It does not affect me. But it does affect people that I know. It affects friends. It affects family members. It affects their friends. It affects coworkers. So just because it doesn't affect me doesn't mean I'm going to sit idly by and ignore it like so many people are going to do. They're going to sit at home on their couch and throw up their arms and go, oh, this is horrible. What a horrible, bad thing they're doing to American women. Blah, 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 and change the channel and move on because it does not personally affect them. And that's fine. If it doesn't affect you, it doesn't affect you. I get it. And a lot of things people don't really concern themselves with if it does not affect them directly. And... I'm talking to men here specifically on this one. I know y'all don't get abortions. I get it. You do not have the equipment to get one. But are you willing to sacrifice the lives of your daughters, your nieces, your wives, your girlfriends on the altar of back alley abortions because... You just didn't care enough to pay attention. It's just something to think about. But also keep in mind that just because this doesn't affect you personally, it will lead to other things. But it's not just about women, and it's not just about abortion. Roe was decided in 1973. The justices on the bench at the time were smart enough to realize that based on the 14th Amendment, it wasn't about abortion itself. 
It was about a woman's right to privacy, her right to make private medical decisions that affected her and her body. But it's also not just about Roe. It's about all of those privacy decisions that we are allowed to make without government interference. I'm going to give you a brief history lesson, and I apologize. It may go off the rails, because what about anything I do or say doesn't go off the rails? So again, I hope you're sticking around for this. In 1974, the ACLU created the Reproductive Freedom Act, Act to defend and explain the right to choose. As a result, we are now all allowed to make all kinds of decisions about our sex lives and our reproductive health that Republicans need to just keep the fuck out of. Keep the fuck away from it. Keep your business out of my fucking uterus. Got it? Good. In 1965, Griswold v. Connecticut made it legal for married women and only married women to have access to contraception, the pill. And I will use contraception, the pill, and birth control all interchangeably, even though we know that there are more than one form of contraception. What I'm not talking about is anything over-the-counter like condoms. Anyway, like I said, it made it legal for married women to obtain birth control, but only with their husband's permission. So if you're married and you don't want to have any more babies, your husband has to tell your doctor that it is okay for you to go on the pill. And again, like I said, this is only married women. It wasn't until another Supreme Court case, Estevant versus Baird, and I apologize if I mispronounced that because I'm sure I did, in 1972, that single women were legally allowed to obtain birth control. That's right, girls. If you were single and ready to mingle in 1970, or prior to 1972, you had to either count on your partner to wear a condom and keep it on and wear it properly, or you risked getting knocked up. I'm just saying. But just to reference this, it wasn't until 1971 when the goddess Ruth Bader Ginsburg argued Reed versus Reed in front of the Supreme Court, and it was a case about inheritance and equal protection under the law under the 14th Amendment. Until that win, most banks would not even issue a credit card or a checking account to a woman without her husband's permission. You could have a job. You could have your own money, but you could not have a bank account and you could not have credit unless your husband gave you permission. 1971, that's the year I was born. So that was only 51 years ago. Anyway, back to 1973. Roe was based on this same right to privacy. And why the right to privacy? Because the Constitution still still, to this day, does not guarantee the right to gender equality. Not for women, and certainly not for anybody who identifies as other than cisgender, male or female. We are still not guaranteed the same rights to autonomy over our own bodies as men in this country. 
So anyway, now that we have access to birth control, pregnancy-related deaths due to abortion have dropped from 17% to below 1%. More women were going to college. More women were joining the workforce. We were out there enjoying our sexual freedom for the first time without having to worry about getting pregnant. We didn't have to worry about leaving our jobs because we were pregnant. Because yes, in the 70s, if a woman got pregnant while she was working, she could be fired. And if she wasn't fired, she was still expected to quit her job so that she could stay home and take care of the babies. The far right and the radical Christian groups didn't like this shift and they began to politicize abortion and try to overturn Roe. Remember all those bombings in the 80s of abortion clinics and Planned Parenthoods or when doctors who were performing abortions were threatened or even murdered? Probably not. And why? Because this is something that is not taught in history. Like, we don't teach anything relevant in history. And now, not only can we not teach slavery and we can't teach the Holocaust, and we certainly don't teach about you know LGBTQ history, but we don't teach this either. We don't teach anything related to women. Even women's history is fucked up because it's not taught and it's not taught correctly. Anyway, um, in 1992, Planned Parenthood versus Casey upheld a woman's right to an abortion, but it made it more difficult. Now states could set their own rules. So laws are now being passed, or were at this time, being passed that limited public funds for abortion clinics and reproductive care, putting that burden on either the patient or private health care. It required waiting periods. It required multiple trips to different doctors because they had more than one doctor had to confirm you were pregnant and that, yes, it was okay for you to have an abortion. Um, in some states, it even required counseling to make sure that you were mentally able to have an abortion. This disproportionately affected women living in rural areas, poor women, and women of color who already had difficulties receiving any kind of reproductive care. In 2000, the abortion pill was introduced. Now you would think this would make it easier. All a woman had to do was go to her doctor's office, get a prescription, go to her local pharmacy, pick it up, go home, and in the privacy of her own home, take this medication and have a medically induced abortion instead of a surgical procedure. But no. Again, states and far-right, whack-job, religious, conservative groups couldn't accept this either. Most states required that a woman would have to take this pill in her doctor's office or at a hospital in front of a doctor. Then, in 2010, the Affordable Care Act was passed. Obamacare, as most of us prefer to call it. This provided affordable and even free birth control for everybody, for all women. No more co-pays. But now, you could get birth control pills for free. This is great. The abortion rate went from roughly 1.5 million in 1990 to just 
around 90,000 or 900,000, I'm sorry, in 2011. Huge decrease, more than half. Then in 2019, 25 abortion bans and restrictions were enacted. Why would this happen when the abortion rate was going down and why we why it was at a record low? Because and here's been my point the whole time, it's not about abortion at all. It never really was. Then in 2021, the Supreme Court refused to block the Texas law banning abortions after six weeks and the bounty hunter provision, enabling private citizens to collect up to $10,000 for turning in anyone receiving, aiding in, or performing an abortion. And more of these laws are coming. Remember Griswold, you know, where they legalized birth control based on a woman's right to privacy? So what happens if they take away our right to make private medical decisions that affect our bodies, like getting an abortion? Griswold falls under that same principle. What's next? They take away our right to birth control? How about our bank accounts, our jobs? our ability to go to college, our ability to go to high school, our right to vote. All of these things can easily be taken away for women. Because again, as women, we are not guaranteed the same constitutional equal rights that men are guaranteed. But here's the thing. It's not just women. On June 12, 1967, the Supreme Court issued its ruling on Loving v. Virginia. This struck down any laws that banned or prohibited interracial marriage as unconstitutional. In 2003, the Supreme Court finally decriminalized homosexuality with Lawrence v. Texas, making it so that it is no longer illegal in Texas and 13 other states to be homosexual. That's right, kids. Up until 2003, it was illegal to be gay in 14 states. Let that sink in a minute. Illegal to be gay in 14 states. If you were gay in one of these states, and I apologize, I did not list the states down, you could be arrested. What the fuck? In 2003, same-sex marriage was not made legal nationwide until Oberfell versus Hodge in 2015. So again, I say, abortion may not affect you, but if they take away our right as women to make private medical decisions, what else are they going to take away? If we can no longer make decisions that affect our own bodies, what else can they take away from us? Our right to decide who we marry, our right to decide who we love, who we live with. Senator Mike Braun of Indiana is already saying that it was wrong to legalize interracial marriage and wants that decision given back to the individual states. 
not the federal government. So if you live in a deep red state and you're married to somebody who is not of your race, if Mike Braun gets his way, you could be breaking the law. 240 anti-LGBTQ bills have already been filed just this year. It is only the beginning of May. So in less than five months, four months and about a week, 240 anti-LGBTQ bills have been filed. Most of them are anti-trans, but they do also include banning gay marriages and the ability for homosexuals to adopt children. Let this sink in a minute. If you're a gay man, abortion doesn't affect you, but it does affect down the road based on the same principles who you can marry, whether or not you can adopt children. If you are trans, you may not have to worry about getting an abortion. You may not have to worry about getting pregnant, but it can affect your ability to actually have gender reassignment surgery. It can make it illegal for you to change your gender. It can make it illegal for you to check the box female or male based on what your preference is or how you feel versus what your birth certificate says. And I'm not going to lie. Right now, I am also extremely pissed off at the Democrats because they're basically sitting on their hands doing absolutely nothing, playing nice. Sure, they're putting it to a vote to codify Roe and make abortion legal throughout the United States. But we all know that's not going to pass. Not at all. The only way to get this to pass is to get out and keep voting blue and to encourage your friends and family members and co-workers and fellow students and anybody else to register, first of all, register to vote. Second of all, do your best to encourage people to vote blue. Don't go out there and strong arm them. We are not the Republican Party, although sometimes I think they do have a few things right, like their ad campaign sure as shit do get people's attention. Um, but... Anyway, it's all about voting. Um, don't stop fighting. Even if it doesn't affect you directly, it may affect your friends. It may affect your family. It may affect your children or your grandchildren or your spouse or your coworkers, members of your church. Just You don't know who it can affect because not everybody tells you. Even your best friends don't necessarily always tell you everything. So... Just, like I said, get out there, vote, keep voting blue, don't let, get angry. And I know I'm stumbling over my own words here, and believe me, if you listen to the unedited version of this, which thankfully you are not going to get to do, um, you will hear me lose my shit, kind of like I did at work. So, but again, get out there, vote blue. This is 2000. And 22. It is not 1822. It is not 1922. Hell, it is not even 1972. Please get angry. Please do something. 
I will put some links in the show notes to all of these cases that I have referred. And I will put some links into ways that you can help. Um, or to show you ways that you can help. So, and again, I will also try and remember to put in the show notes how far ahead to skip if you want to skip this history lesson. But I think everybody would benefit from that. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn and blow smoke up my own ass. Because I will tell you, until I started doing this, I didn't know a good portion of this. Until I started, you know, looking into it for this particular episode. I had no idea. So I just think everybody would benefit from knowledge, not me saying it specifically. Read on your own. Um, do some research on your own. And learn it that way. That's perfectly fine. But anyway, enough of that. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I know for a lot of us it's, it's one of our favorite episodes. Um, and I think... Aside from the guy on the tape player going through Perdition Wood, um, Perdition Woods, besides that, this is, I think, the creepiest episode so far. Actually, even out of the 100 episodes that were created, I think this is the creepiest episode um, for a multitude of reasons because it begins the creep factor. So, yeah, let's dive in, shall we? This one opens with actually one of the best commercials. This one opens with the with the commercial for a new chicken a new chicken restaurant. Rear Admiral Blanders is on talking about his new chicken place, Gentrified Chicken. Um, he's welcoming welcoming all of the listeners to the newest whitewash neighborhood location on Eighth Street and Mary Lou Kirkpatrick Road, the blandest chicken in America. They don't have no 11 herbs and spices, and let's face it, you never know, some of those could be poison. They only have three. Chicken, quality, and the displacement of lower-income families. Mention this ad when you order a neighborhood Admiral Basket, and they'll throw in a free cup of water. So scoot right on over to the right side of the tracks and get you some chicken today. It's going to be okay. And I love how they do that at the end. It'll be okay. Because that's how I say it now. Whenever I'm talking about something that, uh, not necessarily that I'm not sure about, but something that I question. It's going to be okay. Like, oh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. It'll be okay. You get my picture? I'm sure you do. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring that back up again. Um, Sammy is there, um, and has decided he is definitely not going to gentrified chicken. He doesn't care. Um, they paid for their ad. They got their airtime. They got what they paid for. He is declining their invitation to the grand opening. It is a hard no. Ben will email them on the break because chicken lives matter. Sammy starts, um, starts to make an announcement, but Ben stops him and says that they're waiting on something to happen first. And then he leaves to go make a, make a phone call. You know Ben, BRB! And Sammy opens up the phone lines. B 
before the break, they were talking about the aud- the school auditorium and um, how it is now closed because of the ruckus that happened during the debates. And we can either continue talking about that or, as usual, we're going to talk about something else. Line 5 picks up, he, or he picks up line 5. It's kind of a deepish voice. Um, he wants to speak to the radio host. Sammy tells him, you're, you're here, you're live on the air. You know, who's calling? He's like, it's your friendly neighborhood superhero. And Sammy, of course, recognizes him as the dark. He starts to say something, but the dark, as usual, interrupts him and telling him that there are two perps zip-tied to a vending machine filled with Funyuns outside of the Benton Dent. I don't know which Benton Dent. Is there only one Benton Dent in King Falls? Because I thought there was more than one. I could be wrong. And Sammy needs to call Troy and let him know. But Sammy wants to talk to the Dark. He starts to say that there are people championing him as a hero, and the Dark's like, oh, really? They're championing me? I I need to talk to these people. (laughs) Little old me... Sammy calls him Mr. Dark, but Mr. Dark is his father. And there are a lot of other people, Sammy included, who actually doubt him and his validity. Sammy demands names. It's like, why are you hiding behind a moniker and a mask? And the Dark would love to ease Sammy's fears. Um, He loves the work that Sammy and Ben are doing for the town, but words will only go so far, and so he needs to pick up some of the ass-kicking that the local law enforcement apparently just can't handle. Sammy calls him a vigilante and points out that this is dangerous. Um, Of course, Sammy just calls him Dark, not The Dark, which The Dark does not take very well. Sammy tells him that he should, of course, not be doing this. It's unsafe. It's illegal. You know, he's a grown man dressed in tights, and that in and of itself is disturbing. Uh, The Dark says that the police can't be trusted to protect all of the citizens. Some of the police that are out there, like mm, certain sheriff Grissom, um, he's not entirely wrong. Uh, that there's evil lurking in the shadows, and so that's why he he goes by the dark. So then, he, of course, he's be afraid, be afraid of the dark. But yeah, two perps, zip tied, funyuns, bed and den. Oh, and one more thing for the listening public. As long as evil lurks in the town, he will be out there to defend the town and also stay away from the abandoned warehouse near near Mix's Rubber. Um, There's some super bad juju out there. Of course, he doesn't explain said super bad juju. And until next time, and Sammy asks him not to say it, but of course he says, be afraid, be afraid of the dog. And he hangs up the phone, leaving Sammy to just wish that once he could take a sane, rational caller. Somebody coming in to ask about the traffic or to talk about cute, lovable puppies. And don't we all want that sometimes? Not when we're listening to King Falls, but don't we all want that sometimes? Just normal, rational behavior. Um, line 13. It's a female voice. She asked if this is a radio station and if she's on the air, and of course, you know, she is. She seems very confused. Um, she tells Sammy that she was supposed to call. Uh, Sammy makes a joke that really doesn't land very well. Anyway, uh, she says that she's new in town. They talk about how nice King Falls is. Just 
making me want all the more to go move there. Sammy asks her name, and it's Debbie. He asks if there's anything in particular that she's calling about. She says that she was told she was supposed to call tonight at this time, um, but she doesn't know why. She asks Sammy if he knows, and of course, you know, why would he know? He wasn't the one who told her to call. Uh, he wants to know who told her to call. Ben walks in. Sammy introduces the two. She's not the person Ben was waiting on. Um, he's waiting for a call, but not from Debbie. He doesn't know her. Uh, and he wants to know why everything is so weird. Like, why did it get so weird? She says again, she was given this number, this date, and this time to call. She was hoping, of course, that they would be able to help clear things up. She doesn't know who told her. She doesn't know why they told her. It was in a book. And no, not a phone book, Ben. Um, Sammy asks her who gave her the book. Of course, she doesn't know who gave her the book either. They talk about how she's new in town. Or talk again about how she's new in town. Um, how she's lonely. It's kind of scary being in a new place. Sammy's like, look, I get it. Moved here you know, a little over a year ago myself. But it does get better. Uh, he loves King Falls sometimes some weird supernatural shit happens but otherwise he loves the place um ben calls king falls a hotbed for paranormal activity and sammy's like yeah can we say alleged and no you can't really say alleged when you just said there was supernatural supernatural activity taking place there pick a side sammy um she asks what kind of stuff like is it stuff in books and sammy backpedals a bit like you know okay weird maybe not weird more like peculiar uh, anyway back to why she's calling she did not know they were a late night talk show um it all ties together though somehow she's just trying to figure out how she feels like she's been here forever but at the same time she moves around a lot so she hasn't been here for very long um maybe it's just because the move took a lot out of her uh and there's still so much to do um, she likes the town, she likes the area, uh, she loves the new house, and Ben's like, okay, but still, you know, what is it, how can we help? What is it you need? Um, so she tells him, you know, she was trying to sleep, but she kept hearing a knocking from upstairs that kept her awake, and it was scared, and it scared her. So Ben automatically jumps to garbage bears. You gotta watch out for the garbage bears. Keep your cans locked down. They will get in there and tear it up like crackheads. You know, Ben has an unnatural hatred for, for garbage bears. And she's like, raccoons? What the hell? Um, and Sam's like, yeah, he, yeah, back to that whole unnatural hatred. Um, uh, ben offers to get her the number for Ron and Ralph Harkin. Um, but she's like, no, it wasn't raccoons and I don't have an upstairs. So that kind of takes Sammy back a little bit. Um, so I'm just like, okay, so what was it that was waking you up then? And Ben's like, well, what was upstairs if you don't have an upstairs? So anyway, it turns out she has an attic. She starts to tell the boys that, you know, she went up there, but Ben is Googling symptoms of rabies and whether or not garbage bears cause rabies. And you got to be careful around them because they look like you can hug them, but don't. For God's sake, do not hug them. They will end you. And by the way, we are still waiting on why Ben hates garbage bears so much. So anyway, while Ben is 
Googling garbage bears and rabies, Debbie goes on to tell Sammy that she went up to the attic, and when she got up there, there was a room. It was a really old room. It was kind of small, but there was a bed and some dolls and a dollhouse, hooks on the wall where you could hang things, and it was very old. It was all covered in dust, had a very Victorian furniture vibe to it. Sammy asks, so, okay, what was it that was making the noise? She looked around. She couldn't find any signs of animals. There were no tracks or anything. Um, but the whole room, everything just felt kind of off. And I know that feeling, you know, when you walk into a room and you just get that vibe. There's that energy to it that's just like, hmm, that ain't right. Um, all the doll's eyes were scratched out, like with red X's. Um, Ben suggests that she seals the attic and just kills it with fire. I don't know how you can kill just the attic with fire without killing the whole house. Ben obviously didn't think this through. Um, anyway, she's turning around to leave and she starts hearing the thumping again. And that's when she notices that there's a bookshelf. There's only one book on it and it's a diary. Sammy's like, that's it. I'm out. She thinks that that's what was making the noise and trying to get her attention, like, you know, because like a book is capable of getting your attention. And Ben's like, Yeah, I got so many questions, I don't even know where to start. Um, Sammy rationally says the books cannot go thumping around making noises, and that's just a fact. Ben calls it an assumption, whatever. Um, anyway, he's trying not to make fun of Debbie, he's just trying to rationalize what's going on. It's like, look, books don't call people. Um, people don't typically have nightmare attic rooms. Ben wants to know more about what's going on with, with the book. And, of course, Sammy's like, mm, nope, mm, don't know, don't care. Not my circus, not my monkey. And anyway, how does she even know it's a diary? Well, she picked it up and started to read it, and it had one of those little heart-shaped locks on it. We all know the diary with the little heart-shaped lock. And... It crumbled apart in her hand. The lock just crumbled when she tried to open it. Because um, Sammy's like, yeah, because that's not creepy at all. And Ben's like, okay, whose diary is it? And, you know, she hasn't read the whole thing, but there is a name on it. She can only read the first name. It's Nancy. Um, but every page, front and back, is filled out. And a lot of the stuff in there seems familiar. Sammy is willing to dismiss how she got the diary, at least for now you know because he's like yeah I'll even dismiss how the lock crumbled in your hand just tell us how this diary led you to make the call and she doesn't know how or I'm sorry and she doesn't know why but on her way back down the ladder the diary slipped out of her hand and fell so when she went to go pick it up it was open to this page with the station's phone number on it um, but not just the phone number there was a lot of other stuff there were symbols that looked like hieroglyphics there were names there were dates um she said it was kind of serial killery, which is now one of my new favorite words, serial killery. Um, and she doesn't like it. Of course, neither does Sammy. It kind of creeps them both out. And no, it does not have their Twitters on it. In fact, she doesn't even know what Twitter is. So there's that. Um, ben asks what kind of other stuff is on the page. And of course, you know, being who he is, he has to know. 
Nancy, of course, is written on the page. Um, there's other names. Eddie, Edith, Howard, Tim, Mary, Ben and Sammy, Emily. Ben stops and re-interrupts. He's like, I, I, Emily's in the book? Okay, you, you, you got, I've got to get the book. Sammy's like, wait, wait, wait. These are all pretty common names. Ben's like, nope, absolutely not. Emily is in the book. i got to get the book. He starts telling Debbie that if she comes down to the station, you know, because he needs to see the book, and she immediately shuts him down. She's like, you can't have it. Like, no. And, it, and a creepy voice like, like, can't have it. It's mine. Um, her name is in the book, too. Her name's in there a lot. And it's not just her name. There are other names that pertain specifically to her. Um, Sammy tries to tell her not to worry. He's like, look, don't, don't worry about it. We'll figure this out. Ben is not to be deterred. He needs this book. And she's still like, nope. You can't have it. The book called me. The book is for me. Um, it knows things, knows things about my life, uh, and possibly knows things about them too. But she's not done. She isn't even finished reading the book yet. And she felt like the book was pointing her to them, though. So Ben still, so Ben is like, at this point, he's like, look, just get the book and get the hell out of the house. Um, you shouldn't be alone in the house, especially not with a book like this. And he starts again to tell her how to get to the station. I think really that's more about getting the book than it is being concerned about Debbie, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Debbie, you know, kind of makes a sound like she's just been startled. Um, and then there's a, thump a thumping sound and, and the sound of pages flapping again. The diary flew out of her hands. Now she's scared. Um, she doesn't think she's alone in the house. She starts to pray, and, and there's a crashing sound. Um, Sammy, Sammy's like, that's it, I'm calling Troy. Um, ben gets her address. Uh, she is at 1428 Old Sycamore Canyon Lane. Sammy asks what's going on. She tells him that when she had started to pray, the diary flew across the room and broke a crucifix off the wall. Um, pages are now flipping back and forth by themselves. It's in the corner of the room over by the door, so she can't leave. She can't get out of the room. Ben recognizes the address. He's like, you know, Sycamore Canyon Lane. Like, yeah, I know that place. Um, and he even knows which house it is. It's the one with the flat roof. He tells her, he's like, okay, something, something clicks in his brain. He tells her, he's like, Nancy, say the name Nancy Fletcher. And so she questions him but she says it she says nancy fletcher the book slams itself against a wall sammy asks you know being new to town of course you know who is nancy fletcher you know and why did it do this um ben tells sammy that you know it's it's not a good thing the diary must have belonged to her sammy um does have troy on the phone and or did get troy on the phone rather um it's his night off but he's on his way up debbie says the book has stopped, and it opened up to a page. Um, it's right there in front of the door, and she's asking, you know, why did it do that when she said the name? And, of course, legend has it that back in the 1950s, um, her family had moved to the subdivision, Nancy's family, had moved to this subdivision. She was a little girl. She used to play in the circle with her friends and her sisters until one day she didn't. She disappeared. And this is apparently her diary. Okay, but how did it have the station's phone number and their names in it? Yeah, because this was in the 1950s. 
Um, Debbie asks, like, please tell me the story has a happy ending. Sammy, of course, interjects, asking if they ever found her. Ben says, you know, not alive. Um, the man at the end of the street did something. We don't know what. Thankfully, he does not go into detail with what happened. Um, although, aside from, you know, the obvious, I do have some theories. Uh, anyway, Debbie interrupts. Um, something has begun to leak out of the diary. Uh, Sammy, or Ben asks, you know, can she get out of the room? Are there any windows or anything? She's freaking out. No, whatever it is, it's spreading. Shadows are coming out. Ben is hollering at her to just get the heck out of the room. Get the heck out of the house. Sammy's like, okay, I can hear the sirens through the phone. You know, Troy's on his way. I can, can you see the lights? And she starts to say that, no, she can't see only lights. And then her voice changes into only darkness. Um, ben is now, at this point, begging her to get out of the house. She continues in the creepy voice. Um, the man, he's here. The darkness is spreading. It's taking hold. He came for her and her and me. And now you. And the voice then becomes, you know, very monstrous and very ominous. Um, and continues, it's like, come, get the book, Ben. You wanted to talk. Me too. We're watching Ben. Come get the book. It knows all. It is all. Sammy tells Ben to hang up the phone. The voice continues, you know, I'm waiting. We're waiting. Ben asks, you know, how do you know? Um, and the voice concludes with, see you soon, Benjamin Arnold. Ben naturally loses his shit. And quite frankly, I would have lost my shit at that point too. And I apologize if you just heard the motorcycle drive past. Um, my neighbors are extremely loud and obnoxious sometimes. Um... Anyway, Ben loses his shit. Um, how did she, Debbie, or the monster, or whatever it is, know, you know, what was going on? Sammy's trying to calm everybody down and trying to get Ben to sit down. Um, he's about to cut to a commercial so that they can figure everything out. Um, when the phone rings, it's Troy. Sammy's like, oh my God, did you find her? Did you find Debbie? Is she okay? What's going on? And Troy's like, all right, all right, haha, <laughs> very funny guys, you know, you're lucky I'm not on duty tonight, or I'd be giving you guys all citations for, you know, disturbing the peace. Sammy is very confused, he's like, there ain't no girl, there ain't no house, there ain't no nothing. He's at the end of a dead-end road with nothing but empty lots. And Sammy had better be the one to call Loretta and explain because she already thinks Troy has a thing for Abigail Wentworth down at the 24-hour Supercenter. So basically, Sammy is getting Troy in trouble for dragging him out in the middle of the night. Um, he's in trouble with Loretta. You know, for as much as I want to meet Loretta, or wanted to meet Loretta, and think that Loretta is very much the heroine of her own story, I forget sometimes how jealous she apparently is based on some of the things that Troy says. Um, 
I don't know if I like that aspect of her, but I still would have really liked to have met her. Uh, I don't think Troy has ever given her a reason to be jealous. He doesn't seem like that kind of a guy. But I want to know this backstory. Ben is confused. He's like, no, or what's going on? We've been talking to this girl. What the hell? Um, but old Sycamore Canyon was a subdivision, but it's been gone for years. Sammy starts to explain, you know, that what they were doing and what was going on, why they called Troy. But there is, in the background, a very ominous laughter. Troy hears it and he's like, oh, yeah, that's real cute, guys, trying to freak me out with this ventriloquism act of yours. Um, that's not us, dude. So Troy grabs his mag light and he, of course, being Troy, goes to investigate. And then he sees that there is a nightmare shadow tornado and he is not sticking around to find out what the hell happened and what the hell is going on. And then that laughter comes back and we hear Troy beating feet to get back to the car. He is legging it. He is out of there. Um, and that is where this episode ends. So we end this episode with shadows, with Debbie, with a creepy diary, a subdivision that no longer exists, and a horror story about a murdered child. This is not an uplifting episode. <laughs> Next episode, I'm hoping, will be much, much better. Anyway, um, I've got no um, recommendations. I've got a few things that I'm starting to listen to. And as soon as I get a couple more episodes in, I will let you all know. Uh, don't forget to hop on over and check out 90 Degrees South. There's only a couple episodes left. And I don't know about you all, but my ass is on pins and needles waiting to find out what's going on and who the murderer is and um, can what happened in the end of the last episode really happen? And is that a thing? Can we do this now? Anyway, this has been Shotgun Saturday Nights. It is recorded and edited by myself. Um, our opening is Get Ready by Festline Studios. And our closing music is A Slumber of the Blackwoods by As Above, So Below. Follow us on Twitter at ShotgunSammy71, Shotgun Saturday Nights on Facebook, or email me your questions at ShotgunSaturdayNights at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, share, and review. It really does help. And anyway, everybody have a great night. Have a great week. I will see you in a few weeks. And we will talk about episode 36. Much love to everybody. Keep up the good fight. Have a great one. Bye-bye.